Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, one man car. My name is Jesse Romero. My partner, Paul Clay, is out with uh, his computer crashed. So he's out shopping for a new computer so he can come uh, back online with us. Hey, it's still November. Just want to remind you that November is the month when we pray as Catholics for the holy souls in purgatory. And remember that the holy souls are saved. They're on their way to heaven. They've died in a state of grace. But they're not yet free from all the punishment due to their unforgiven venial sins and uh, the mortal sins that have already been forgiven, but which requires satisfaction that still has to be made. The holy souls are... 100% certain of entering heaven, but first they must undergo purgatory because uh, I forget which saint it was in the Middle Ages. The uh, defects and the imperfections as a result in the soul, as a result of, of sin committed in one's life already forgiven, uh, that causes rust in the soul. So purgatory is where the rust in the soul is removed so you can be a pure brick of gold before the Lord. And let's remember that the holy souls can't help themselves because for them, the night has come when, as it says in John chapter 9, verse 4, when no man can work. So it's our great privilege uh, as part of the brotherhood under the fatherhood of God that we can shorten their time of separation from God by our prayers, our good works, and especially the holy sacrifice of the Mass. For those of you that live in the Phoenix Valley, tonight tonight I am going to be at uh, Maricopa, the city of Maricopa. I'm doing a four-day parish mission. It started last night in Maricopa. It's uh, Our Lady of Grace. Maricopa, the city of Maricopa in Arizona. That's Our Lady of Grace. That's in Maricopa, Arizona. Uh, It'll be tonight. It'll be Tuesday and Wednesday. So if if you live within a stone's throw, or even if you live about an hour away, I'd like to see you tonight at Our Lady of Grace, Maricopa in Arizona. So let me get right to today's topic. There's a lot of good Catholics that have gotten the vaccination. A lot of good Catholics. One good Catholic friend of mine, and by the way, I haven't got the vaccination and I don't intend to get the vaccination. And I'll tell you why. But I was reading... This one website from a good Catholic friend of mine, and he talked about why he got the jab. I'm going to read his article as to why he got the jab, and then I'm going to interact 
with his article. And again, here's an area where good Catholics can definitely disagree. When it comes to this whole thing about vaccinations, again, I'm not a doctor. I just happen to read doctors that I trust. And I have made the decision for myself and my family. Again, Joshua 24, 15. As for me and our house, we will serve the Lord and we will not get the jab. It's funny, but the secular humanists are trying to treat the vaccine, the jab, as if it's some kind of Eucharist, some kind of medicine of immortality. No. There's only one medicine of immortality. That's the Holy Eucharist. So don't buy the propaganda. Don't buy the Pravda propaganda. Because I'm going to tell you right now, this party that's leading this country, they're straight up communists who want to destroy America. Yep, Biden, Pelosi, and the rest of them. All right. So a good Catholic friend of mine, you're probably going to figure out who he is when I read his email. But I'm not going to mention his name. I'm going to let you figure out who it is. He said, Jess, the reason I got the jab, he says, even though I've told all my kids and grandkids not to get it, is because I need to go back to work. So here's what he writes, a good Catholic friend of mine. And again, uh, this is an area where good Catholics can disagree. So he writes, his good Catholic friend of mine writes, In his blog, he says, a prudential decision made by St. Paul applied to COVID vaccines. I'd like to share a few thoughts on the COVID vaccine since we are resuming our pilgrimages to Israel and other biblical and Catholic sites, writes my friend who took the jab. He's a good Catholic guy again. He writes, Israel is currently mandating the vaccine as a prerequisite to enter the country. We will need to inform the pilgrims that at this time they will need proof of the vaccine. We will also inform them that it is best to, that it is the best possible time to visit the Holy Land without the crowds and long lines with more time for prayer and immersion in the holy sites. I found what I think to be an interesting biblical parallel about us making prudential judgments in getting the jab and to lead people through the Holy Land even under these current conditions. We, ha- we have no doubt of our calling to lead pilgrimages and the great good it does for pilgrims, all the deeply spiritual effects it has on pilgrims. Okay, so let me give you my comments on, on, what he's read, on what he's written so far. This is a good Catholic friend of mine that's justifying why he got the jab, and he's using the story of St. Paul and Timothy to justify why he got the jab. So here, here's my take, okay? Again, this person that I'm that I don't want to mention his name, he's a thoughtful, serious Catholic. However, taking the jab is a coin toss. And there are two sides that Catholics take. One side is we don't trust our present government and medical dictators. That's me. That's the side I take. Other Catholics, uh, other Catholics like my friend, probably thinks. Everything from non-governmental doctors is a bunch of hype. So he gambled and took the jab. Maybe my Catholic friend thinks there's a great, a great good that, uh, that being able to continue 
to evangelize people through his Holy Land trips, which which are second to none, by the way, maybe he thinks that was worth taking the jab. Again, this is a decision every Catholic is going to have to make deep down in his, in his moral conscience. I've made up my mind. I happen to trust the doctors that are independent and do not work for the government. If these doctors that don't work for the government, like from, from uh, American Frontline Doctors and many, you know, Dr. Zelenko and, and Dr. Uh, McCullough, if these doctors that don't work for the government were putting out misinformation, then why do the globalists and Marxists and great recent people make sure they get canceled from social media? Think about that. So my friend writes, this good Catholic friend of mine, who's taken the jab because he wants to continue uh, evangelizing and leading, leading trips in the Holy Land. He says this, First in 49 AD, the apostles gathered together for a council in Jerusalem, which is recorded in Acts 15. It was a contentious gathering with some insights gained from the, books of, from the book of Acts and Galatians. The council debated the issue of circumcision and whether the surgery was necessary for salvation among the Gentiles. The Council of Jerusalem declared against the surgical mandate, assuming Galatians provides inside information about the inner workings of the council. Paul had criticized, had criticized Peter to his face for being a hypocrite in regards to the issues of Jew and Gentile overshadowed by the issue of circumcision. And that's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul argued that the Judaizers were sneaking in among the brethren to steal away their liberty in Galatians 2.4. And the Judaizers from Jerusalem came to Antioch trying to impose the works of the law on the Gentiles, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's found in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Paul was so angry, he said he wished that he could ju- he would just... He said he wished that they would just castrate themselves in Galatians 5.12. And in Acts 15.28-29, Paul concludes that circumcision was not required for salvation. Paul's letters to the Galatians and Romans are mainly arguments for salvation by faith and not by works of the Jewish law, especially emphasizing circumcision. And Paul boasts that even later in Jerusalem, he did not have his fellow worker Titus circumcised, saying... But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because the false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy, to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 and 5. I'm sharing a letter of a friend of mine who's a good Catholic evangelist, he got the jab so he can continue doing trips to the Holy Land. I'll give you my take after I read his letter if he did the right thing or not. Jesus 911, we'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 
526-2151. Viva Cristo Rey, Jesus 911. My name is Jesse Romero, one man car. I'm a soul patrol, giving you some Catholic intel. This is the Lord's gym, his pain is your gain. I'm sharing with you an article written by a friend of mine who's a good Catholic evangelist and apologist. He got the jab. We had a conversation. He asked me if I would ever get it. I said, never, over my dead body. He said, the only reason I got the jab is so I can continue working and taking people on pilgrimages to the Holy Land. He says, uh, Israel won't let me go in to do pilgrimages unless I've got the jab. So he wrote an article, he put it in his blog, it's a short little essay, kind of justifying why he got the jab, trying to justify it to other Catholics. Number one, he calls it a prudential judgment, which it is, it's a, everybody has to make that call on their own. But then he shares the story of the way St. Paul basically went against his own, uh, his own teachings and had Timothy circumcised because he wanted to, uh, out of fear for the Gentiles. Or out of fear for the Jews, excuse me, out of fear for the Jews. So here's what he writes, then I'm going to give you my take on what he says. So my friend writes, now back to the council in Jerusalem. In Acts 15, remember the council decreed that circumcision was not necessary. Look what happened immediately after the council while Paul was on his way through Asia Minor. To deliver the decree which was binding on all the churches the decree that eliminated the dangerous mandate of circumcision. The cutting of the foreskin would be a compromise, falling back into the bondage of the Judaizers and compromising the gospel. However, look what Paul does in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. It reads this, quote, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Close quote. So the very thing that Paul despised, circumcision, and opposed, he actually did. I mean, he railed against the imposition of circumcision as a mandate, yet for a prudential and practical reason, he had his own son in the faith, Timothy, circumcised to better minister among the Jews. So that's my friend's argument as to why he got the jab, and it, so he can continue taking people to Israel, the Holy Land. My friend writes, first, circumcision was objectionable and contrary to the gospel. Second, it was not really safe either. The surgery uh, being done under unsterile conditions with a flint knife, using no antiseptic or anesthetic. Third, it was, man it was also being mandated by an authority. Paul's preliminary audience in, the, in each city, the Jews, uh, yet Paul applied the expedient surgery to Timothy. I can imagine Timothy later speaking boldly to the Ephesians, exhorting them to stay, to stay true to the way of the Lord. One of them might stand up and ask, hey, Yeah, your father's Greek. Were you circumcised? Timothy says, Yes. The man then asks, When? Timothy responds, By Paul, after the Council of Jerusalem, when he was delivering the decree regarding the removal of any requirement for circumcision for the Greeks. The man might respond, 
you took the expedient route and put the gospel of liberty in question, and you tell us to stay true to the truth of the gospel? Yet with all this in mind, Paul took the expeditious path and made the prudential decision that Timothy would be circumcised. My friend writes, it seems that the same expediency and prudence of St. Paul concerning Timothy could be applied to the COVID vaccine under certain situations. Even though I might I oppose I oppose it and fight the mandates, yet I made a prudential decision to enable us to fulfill the tasks that we believe God has called us to do. I expect that some will oppose this understanding of St. Paul's actions with Timothy or or at least disagree with my application of it. This is a very divisive issue for us as Catholics and emotions can run high on all sides, close quote. So that's how my friend ends his blog. Well written, I respect him. Uh, here's my take. This is not the best analogy because St. Paul was dealing with a religious doctrinal matter while those Catholics that take the jab are dealing with a medical issue that deals with their mortality and the source of this information is not the Council of Jerusalem or the Holy Spirit. The source of this information is Dr. Frankenstein Fauci Dr. Frankenstein, Klaus Schwab, and all these other uh, doctors that cannot be trusted that would work for Big Pharma or the government, or that are basically spokesmen for the government. Now, I know that this person that wrote this essay in his blog, I know this person is personally against the vax. In fact, he told all his children and his grandchildren, don't get the vax. But back to the story of St. Paul. The tension between Jews and Gentiles was so thick you could cut it with a knife. I believe what we see here is St. Paul basically lost courage and simply failed to live up to what he and the other apostles agreed at the Council of Jerusalem. What you're, he- what you're, what you're seeing here on display from St. Paul are, is his human weakness. That's why he would later call himself the chief of sinners. It's his concupiscence, his fallen nature that wants to take the path of least resistance. He probably recalled this moment when he flip-flopped like a politician on the issue of the jab. I believe, I believe my friend who wrote this article, who I know loves God and Holy Mother Church, simply succumbed to human weakness and to pressure from the medical dictators and the propaganda pravda media. I know... The guy that wrote this article, good Catholic friend of mine, I know he prays daily to the Lord that he may deliver him from any side effects or early death as a result of the jab. And let's pray for all these Catholics who have decided to take the jab. I believe this is Satan's way of, uh, of, of taking out some of our good Catholic men. But I hope and I pray that I'm wrong. I hope and I pray that nothing happens. I hope I'm wrong. Let me move on. Well, here's the last thing I want to say about the jab. You know, uh, 
we're dealing with Marxist monsters. And they're destroying the greatest economy in the history of the world just to make sure Donald Trump doesn't get reelected. And it's uh, what we're dealing with is this global domination, this world domination. That's the goal of Marxism, let's face it. But it doesn't happen all by itself. What we know is that no sooner had the Wuhan virus appeared than the entire left saw and seized an opportunity for their own political gain. They brought the the economy to a standstill. They locked down the country state by state and their Marxist media allies trumpeted the narrative. I don't believe these, these, these vaccines have anything to do with medicine. It's all politics. This is the liberal propaganda you hear every day. Stay home. Don't breathe. Don't come outside. Get, stay six feet apart. Give people free money for, for, for next year. Shut down the schools. Close up everything. Leave no stone unturned. The virus must be eradicated from every cellar, every chimney, every mailbox in America. No one is safe. People will die by the millions, tens of millions if you don't get the jab. This is the mass hysteria that we're hearing every day from the COVID news network, CNN. Yeah, I, you're right. It's called the COVID news network. And uh, again, this is the, the fake news network. Uh, they don't tell us that 94% of people listed as dying from the Wuhan virus actually died from Wuhan virus and other diseases acting in combination with each other. So to skip over that inconvenient fact should result in complicit media being arrested and put on trial and then in prison for the rest of their natural born days. But uh, for the Catholics listening, remember this. Many of the U.S. hierarchy, that is the bishops and their staff, are dying the world Democrats. They have no supernatural faith. They've lost their faith. They don't believe and they protect homo-predator clergy, and they lie to you. Take your money, give no care whatsoever about the eternal destiny of, of you and your or your family. Many of them are straight-up Marxists who disguise themselves as social justice warriors supposedly caring for the poor. But they're in league with Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and the rest of them. That's why they never condemn them, never speak a word against them. They give them the sacred body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, adding sacrilege to their list of crimes. What we have here, and I think my friend was fooled, my good Catholic friend that wrote this letter in his blog, this essay, trying to justify his actions, I think this is a giant ideological conspiracy, if not an actual one. It's a Marxist effort. It was to defeat Trump at all costs. Check that box off. Uh, you know, uh, by stealing the election, even faking a pandemic. And uh, the over 10,000 Americans who have died directly from the Wuhan virus doesn't even crack the top, the top 10 on the, list, the, on the list of causes of death each year in America. How many people die of heart disease in America a year? 647,000 people and change. How many people die of cancer a year in America? 599,000 people and change. How many people die of unintentional accidents in America? 170,000 people. How many people die of diabetes in America every year? 84,000. Alzheimer's disease? 122,000. Guess what? 
five times the number of people die from committing suicide than those who died directly from the Wuhan virus. America, wake up. You've been had, brother. We've all been had. In the calculation of the Marxists, including those in the church, America's the last obstacle in the world stage to global domination. And, and Trump was a central figure espousing American greatness. So he had to go, and he had to be taken off the board, and the era of godless Marxism can begin. And the Democrats are in on this. The media is in on this. The Obama holdovers in the deep state are in on this. Black Lives Matter is in on this. Antifa is in on this. And too many bishops and clergy are in on this as well. They are all Marxists. Wake up, America. We're being duped Catholics. My friend was duped. And we're, we've allowed ourselves to be taken in by these crooked men and miters in league with all these Democrats, denying us the sacraments. Hey, up next, I'm going to talk about the Latin Mass. A great little video that came out. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. My name is Jesse Romero, the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. There's a good video that I just watched the other day, and it was... Uh, the video is called Mass of the Ages. It has well over a million views. Well over. And so I was asked by the communications manager at liturgy.org. His name is Jacob Tate. He's one of the producers of this incredible video. And my hat's off to him. He did a bang-up job. And so I watched the video because he wanted me to speak about the video, to basically talk about it. And I would recommend anybody watching that video. It's called The Mass of Ages. It's a stunning trilogy about the Latin Mass. Stunning trilogy. And when you watch this movie, you're going to see that the Catholic faith isn't like any other religion. You're going to see the Mass featured like you've never seen it before with insights from profound experts and inspiring stories of traditional Catholics. The Mass of the Ages will surprise you. So, Jacob Tate, the communications manager, the one that directed this, the Mass of the Ages, and I tip my hat off to him. He did a bang-up job. He asked me, Jesse, would you be so kind? Uh, we would really appreciate it if you could conduct a formal review of the film on your podcast uh, on your podcast, we want to build momentum as we approach the release of episode two at the end of 2021. But we would also love to hear the honest opinions and critiques of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic media. Did you like our storytelling approach? So here's what I would have to say to Jacob Tate. Jacob, the video that I watched, it was really moving to see the way a young widow with several children was sustained by the graces and the power of the Latin Mass. She was absolutely grounded in her faith, and she was doing a yeoman's job 
of passing that that faith on to her children. So, what I want to see, what what I want to see more of in subsequent episodes, what would I like to see more of? Well, at the end of the video, video number one, there was a huge teaser for part two. Because the priest was asked, why don't 70% of Catholics believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist? Then, then you showed a picture of Pope Paul VI and Archbishop Bunini, who was in charge of the commission on the sacred liturgy at Vatican II. And then the video ends, the film ends, and it says, stay, stay tuned for part two. So, how did the film affect my view of the Latin Mass? I could just tell you that this video put out by Jacob Tate, he had some real experts and serious Catholics that were interviewed for this film. He interviewed Monsignor Illo, who's in the Diocese of San Francisco. He's a just a legendary priest in terms of his holiness and orthodoxy that does the Latin Mass. He interviewed Dr. Taylor Marshall, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, Dr. Michael Foley, Father Dave Nix, Eric Sammons, Father Gerald Murray, Bishop Strickland, Bishop Conley, Father Joshua Caswell, etc. And in this video, Jacob Tate also profiled all kinds of Hollywood and TV celebrities who left the church after the Mass changed at Vatican II. This video also demonstrates that the traditional Catholic is the only part of the Catholic Church that's growing because the Latin Mass breeds a way of life. It's just not something you do an hour on Sunday. Traditional Catholicism breeds a way of life. Traditional Catholicism is a lifestyle completely at odds with our secular world, uh, with our secular world because throughout world history, Muslims, Satanists, looky-loos have been converted by attending a Latin Mass because they sense that it is otherworldly. The Latin Mass is the true worship of God, and once you understand that you are you are at Calvary, it's exactly you are at Calvary, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That will evangelize you. That will make you fall in love with God and His Son. Part two of the Mass of the Ages will be a surprising investigation into the creation of the new Mass and the machinations of Archbishop Annabel Bunini. You can view the film by going to YouTube and just type in the Mass of the Ages, Mass of the Ages by Jacob Tate. Uh, and I just want to just thank Jacob for taking the time to do this video and uh, for providing it to the Catholic world to give people, again, just more information on the Mass of the Ages. Why do we call it the Mass of the Ages? Well, it's been around for at least, at least 1,600 years. Okay? Now, it's had little redactions here and there, but essentially it's uh it's been just the Latin mass for a thousand six hundred years. 
Here's a couple things that I do want to mention. And by the way, this guy, Jacob Tate's a young guy. I commend him because these are the next generation of Catholics that are young and they're defending Holy Mother Church. But this video, I can tell you, it has inspiring stories and it has some profound ex experts because Catholics shouldn't feel ordinary. We feature the Mass like you've never seen it before with, with insights from profound experts and inspiring stories of traditional Catholics. The Mass of the Ages will surprise you. Absolutely will surprise you. What happened to the Mass after Vatican II? Well, every Catholic knows about the Second Vatican Council. Some have even read the documents, but very few know what happened right after Vatican II. The Mass of the Ages will reveal the surprising details about how the new Mass was created, basically out of whole cloth. And, and you'll see, you'll, you'll see that what's happened after Vatican II is we've lost many priests. Vocations have gone down. What else has happened after Vatican II? There's been a shattering of families, divorces, annulments. The shattering of Catholic family is also something we've seen after 1965. What else have we seen after 1965? A mass exodus of Catholics. A mass, a mass Catholic exodus of church attendance that's what we've seen. And we've also seen in the Latin Mass, young people flock to the Latin Mass. The Mass of the Ages interviews young families who have discovered the Latin Mass as well as those old enough to remember the sweeping changes in the 60s. You'll hear one inspiring story after another that tradition, really, tradition is the only future for the church to save the church. We must go back to tradition. One of the things that I do love about the Latin Mass is that they understand that the Latin Mass should be stunning. The main, our main priority as Catholics, and I guess the guys that made these film, this film, Mass of the Ages, uh, Jacob Tate and his friends, they showcase the beauty of the Mass where heaven touches earth. And they're filming actual masses as they happen, but they also they also try to capture never before seen details of the mass. In this video, I recommend everybody watch it. Go to YouTube, type in Mass of the Ages. You're gonna hear stories that will surprise you. When you think of a traditional Catholic, you probably have someone very specific in mind, but the character but the characters in Mass, Age, Mass of the Ages, it's going to surprise you. You see messy families, courageous priests, and deaths that forge a strong faith. You're also going to get a sneak preview. It'll be more, more in part two. The eye-opening investigation into the Concilium. The Concilium was the committee that implemented the changes to the liturgy after Vatican II. And you'll be shocked to realize the changes that took place that were never mentioned by the Second Vatican Council. You will discover a priest named Annabal Bunini 
who was the architect of it all. And there's a book coming out by Father Muir, a friend of the show, which is going to definitively demonstrate that Archbishop Bunini was a Freemason. Case closed, open and shut. Even when you look at the documents of Vatican II, for example, on the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, it says there must be no innovations unless the good of the Church genuinely and certainly requires them. Did you catch that? No innovations. And that's yet what we've been having since 1965. One innovation after another from one parish to another. You'll find that this video, The Mass of the Ages by Jacob Tate, it's a documentary which investigates the pastoral changes to the prayers in the form of the Mass. Since the implementation of Vatican II, it had to do with pastoral changes to Catholic customs. Catholics can critique the actions of the Concilium and yet still revere the Second Vatican Council. The Concilium was a post-Vatican II committee. Yep, Bishop Conley of Lincoln, Nebraska is quoted as saying, the Second Vatican Council fathers would have been shocked if they watched this video. Jesus 911 we're going to talk about the Mass of the Ages. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. We're taking a look at the, the, the trilogy about the Latin Mass. Go to liturgy.org, liturgy.org. It's on YouTube. It's a phenomenal video about the beauty and the power of the Latin Mass. Go to liturgy.org, liturgy.org. And some of the people that put this video together, these, uh, again, it just goes to show you just young people are attracted to the Latin Mass. I'm going to repeat that again. You look at all the people that have put this Mass together, they're all a bunch of young people. Okay? Jacob Tate and his crew. And as Catholics, to me, that's... Uh, that's a breath of fresh air. So, I'll tell you what can I uh, what can I tell you about this uh, documentary? The Mass of the Ages is a is a documentary trilogy that explores the richness of the traditional Latin Mass. I recommend this to every Catholic. You need to watch it. Need to know our roots. It's stunning in its cinematography. It has inspiring stories. It's just not three beautiful films. It's also a deep dive investigation into the surprising events that led to the creation of the new Mass, the, 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 the Novus Ordo Missae. The Mass of the Ages will give you a deep appreciation for your Catholic faith. And again, the priority is to showcase the beauty 
of the mass. Here are some of the young, what I would call tigers by the tail, that put this this work together. You got Cameron O'Hearn. He's the director and producer. Cameron O'Hearn. You have Jonathan Weiss, co-producer of production. You have Thomas Shannon, cinematographer. These are all a bunch of young guys. And Jacob Tate, co-producer of communications. This is an invitation. I'm inviting you. Go check out the Latin Mass in your area. Or have your priests learn it. Encourage your priests to learn it and bring it to your parish. Or find a place where they celebrate the Latin Mass and go check it out yourself. Certainly, there are holy Catholics who go to either form of the Mass, obviously. But in this video, these four young men, they definitely believe that the traditional Latin Mass, the Mass of the Ages, the Mass of the Saints, is a solid foundation for a, for a faith in a time when the world is in chaos. So, Mass of the Ages will be a trilogy of films. There's a lot of content to be shared. The first one came out August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption. That's the first one. And uh, sometimes people wonder, did Vatican II create a new Mass? Well, this is a common misconception. Vatican II wrote the guidelines for how the new Mass was to be created in a document called Sacrosanctum Concilium, then a commission called the Concilium after Vatican II created the new Mass. And they did this between 1965 and 1970 under Archbishop Annabal Bunini, who was a Freemason. Now, the film is not an attack on Vatican II. No. It's a documentary that explores what happened after Vatican II to show how the creation of the new Mass went far beyond the text of Vatican II. And so the documentary is critical of those who pushed through their own radical agenda to destroy the silence, the mystery, and the transcendence of the Mass of the Ages. So, these young men, they're not saying that the traditional Mass is better. Uh, I don't think they believe that going to the TLM automatically makes you a better Catholic. Both forms of the Mass are valid and approved by the Church. But, these young men in the documentary... Liturgy.org, liturgy.org, liturgy.org. They believe, and I agree, that the TLM is a better setting for the mystery to take place. The same diamond in different settings will have different effects. Some rings will allow the light to shine through more clearly. We believe the Catholic faith is more clearly expressed in a traditional Latin Mass. This video, The Mass of the Ages, explores the unique details of the TLM and what makes those details essential for, for forming the faith of Catholics around the world. And here's just a, an, a fact check from episode one. There are twice as many fixed prayers in the TLM. Yep. Prayers, there are twice as many prayers fixed in the TLM. And so, if you do a word count of the two missiles using a typical Sunday Mass setting, it equaled about 3,600 words in the old missile 
and 2,000 words in the new Missal. This is only if the Novus Ordo Mass chooses to use Eucharistic prayer number one. So, again, the richness of the new Mass, of, of, I mean of the old Mass, because of the words, they are more precise. They are more theologically precise and that's, that's everything when it comes to uh, prayer and celebrating the Mass. I want to tip my hat off to these young men uh, from, who put out this uh, video you can find the video under theliturgy.org, theliturgy.org. These Young Tigers by the Tail, Jacob Tate, co-producer, Thomas Shannon, cinematographer, Jonathan Weiss, co-producer of production, Cameron O'Hearn, director and producer. They've done a yeoman's job, being very faithful to, uh, to showing... Again, the power and the beauty of the new mass, of, of the old mass, excuse me, the, 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 the TLM. And, you know, personally, I think that the, the path to a true Christian communion with God is reverence, recollection, and contemplation. Of course, we should deplore excessively individualistic and sentimental devotionalism and acknowledge that many Catholics have practiced it. But the antidote is not a community experience as such. The antidote is to encourage true reverence, an attitude of authentic recollection, and a contemplative devotion to Christ. Out of this attitude alone can a true communion in Christ take place. And the truth be told, the Holy Mass attendance is tanking in America. We wonder why Mass attendance on Sundays is down about 21% in the United States right now to about 21% before COVID. Before Vatican II, which ended in 1965, 75% of Catholics attended Mass on Sundays in America. Now think about this. And before COVID, we're down to 21%. And right now, we're about at 14% of Catholics in America are going to Mass on Sunday. If a major company saw their clientele go from 75% of Americans to only 21% of Americans now using their product after 50 years, everybody would be fired, including the CEO. Well, the new mass appears to be a, gate, a gateway either to Protestantism or to becoming a nun. Which makes me think about a joke I once heard which seems to be absolutely true. The joke is, what's the difference between a liturgist and a terrorist? Answer, you can negotiate with a terrorist. Which is probably, we can use the same joke. What's the difference between a, uh, <laughs> uh, a doctor that works for the FDA and the CDC and the NIH? What's the difference between a government doctor and a terrorist? <laughs> uh, the difference is you can negotiate with a terrorist. You know, as Catholics, I could tell you that men don't like men don't like effeminacy. And the Latin Mass, it's 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 a very masculine in just the in just the postures and the movements of the mass. And I'll tell you, Latin is a sacred language. When Latin was removed from the prayers in the 60s, 
all hell broke loose throughout the world. Think about that. The Latin Mass, Latin Exorcism, Latin Sacraments, all this crushed the devil. And why is Latin so powerful? Well, it's the official language of the church, number one. And number two, think about this. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin are the three languages that were affixed to the instrument of our salvation, the cross of Christ in John chapter 19, verse 19 and 20. That's why they're sacred. The Latin Mass prayed around the world for centuries was the answer to the Tower of Babel. One of the problems, again, just with the Novus Ordo Mass, you had six Protestants that were at Vatican II that served as advisors, consultants, as to how Catholics should worship God. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't need any Protestants to tell us how to worship God. The Catholic Church has been doing this since 33 AD, and we're still under the same management, Jesus Christ. I think the restoration of the church is probably going to come, is going to come, or the renewal, the revival of the church, the renaissance, whatever you want to call it, the rebirth, is going to come when people go back to traditions, and and one of that was one of those traditions is back to the Latin Mass. When I take a look at the internet, and I see the the goofy, heretical, blasphemous Novus Ordo masses at the Los Angeles Religious Education Congress every year at the Anaheim Convention Center. And it's the largest religious gathering in the world of modernist clergy. You see all kinds of liturgical innovations that you're going to experience at St. Miscellaneous Community or St. Diversity's Community. This is taken right from the Los Angeles Religious Education Congress Irreverent Modernist Liturgies. If you just type in liturgical abuse in the Catholic Church on YouTube, prepare to weep. Because the Novus Ordo Mass lends itself to innovations, experimentation, and abuse. Those are just the facts. Jesus 911, that's a wrap. I'm EOW, end of watch. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands on apologetics. Stick around. You'll want to hear some high intel, high info Catholic apologetics. Stick around. 